0: Welcome back to Presidents in Politics. I am one of your hosts, Professor Caleb McGee, joined by my fellow co-host, uh, former Congressman Ross. And today, we're about Grover Cleveland.
1: A fascinating, fascinating person. Yes. And, you know, it, it's, could this not be more timely today <laughs> when we look at, well, is Trump going to be the first person ever elected non-consecutively to the presidency? No. Because it's happened. Because it happened to Grover Cleveland. And it today did. We're going to discuss both of his terms. Yes. We won't address Benjamin Harrison. We'll do that later, who was the president in between his two terms.
0: Who didn't really do a whole lot successfully, no, honestly, which, which
1: we'll say that for next week. But, yeah, um, which is also why you know, somebody like Grover Cleveland gets reelected to the the White House.
0: Yeah, because yeah. Cleveland is not... We, we, we need to set this off at the uh, the outset. Cleveland's not a Washington or a Jefferson or a Roosevelt. He is not great of mind, nor of stature. No. Um, he's not that eloquent. He, he's he, he's we a talk, self-made lawyer. He is, and we talk a lot about average or below average leaders, and he's one of those below average leaders, yet he is able to successfully win an election stay out of the White House for a term, and then come back and win again. And I think it goes to show you – you have to talk all the time. It goes to show you a few things, and one is being – at the right place at the right time and then yeah. two is just the providential hand of God moving behind the scenes true
1: and speaking of the providential hand of God I mean his father was an itinerant Presbyterian right. m- uh, minister who died I think when he was 16 when mm-hmm. when, when, when Grover Cleveland was 16 because he was
0: preparing to go to college and all excited about college
1: his yeah. dad dies he's got to go to work now and he goes to work mm-hmm. and he, he, he law clerks but what I think was fascinating is that he worked his way up as the uh, the prosecuting attorney, he uh, became sheriff uh, and then was drafted to become the mayor of Buffalo, mm-hmm. where he took on corruption. That's right. He got it. He received a tremendous reputation. I mean, just three years into his his political career, all of a sudden he's governor of New York. Yeah. And, and he took on Tammany Hall, which yes. was the most corrupt machine in oh. the political machine in all Imagine corruption New York. coming out of New York. I cannot. Can, I mean, <laughs> can you even fathom how that could happen in politics? Yeah, this is well over and what, forty years ago. Yes.
0: Um, but I, I do want to touch on some of his background because I love that you brought this up. He is the sheriff, as you said. Yeah. And um, he will actually perform multiple executions himself. Yes, um, and he talked about – that, and this, this was – from a leadership perspective, this was really interesting to me because he made the statement that he did not want to delegate that to one of his men and have them live with that, right. of having to actually take a life. And he he questioned if he could do this or not. And I, I did some more research in this. Um, and the very first individual that he had to execute was a guy by the name of Patrick uh, Morrissey. And Patrick Morrissey stabbed his mother to death. Ooh. And, and basically, Grover Cleveland was like, that's an individual he could put to death that would help him kind of break through the yeah. – the initial human
1: yeah. hang-up of this. I'm trying to think right, of, a, of right. a way to, to yeah, word kind that. kind of like an eye for an eye Yeah, attitude. if, if yeah. you
0: will. But he actually is He is not only a sheriff in this time period, he is an executioner. We know of at least two individuals that are documented that he he took their life and, and could have been more uh, in that position. But as you said, he was known for his honesty, and he was called the honest candidate. Um, and this yes. this is really I mean, it, it, he almost in some ways harkens back to the the ethos of Abraham Lincoln. Um, however, he's on the exact opposite party. He'll be the yep. first Democrat elected. Now, not the first Democrat that runs, because of course uh, Lincoln's VP with 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 uh, will also Johnson will lead as well. But Cleveland is the very first Democrat since the Civil War who is elected and will serve as the president. And
1: he is not a Democrat in today's uh, definition of Democrat.
0: Fiscal responsibility Incredibly. is his driving force in life.
1: He does not like corruption. He said that in his first term, he vetoed four. Hundred and fourteen pieces of legislation for mm-hmm. Congress, which is twice as much of all the presidents before him vetoed. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, yes. here's a guy who didn't stand for anything. Government should not be involved in people's lives. In fact, I, I ran into a quote where there was a bill... <laughs> to appropriate $10,000 to distribute seed grain among drought stricken farmers in Texas and he vetoed it saying federal aid in such cases encourages the expectation of paternal care on the part of government and weakens the sturdiness of our national character. He's already writing it's the nanny state. Yes. 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 and This is a Democrat. It's okay. a Democrat this in the 1800s and he's already warning about the nanny state. Yeah. That's interesting. It's 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 fascinating. Now I guess both parties believe that uh. we should just keep appropriating money for whatever <laughs> reason.
0: You know, one of the things I found really interesting in his early life is that when he was nine years old, he won an essay contest. And in this essay contest for primary school, here's what he wrote. I, I, I don't know if some my college freshmen would write this, much less a nine-year-old. If we expect to become great and good men and be respected and esteemed by our friends— we must prove our time when we are young. Wow. This is a nine year old.
1: Wow. That, that's foretelling. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty powerful. It is.
0: And, and I love, and you and I have done this multiple times, Shiba, I love how he makes the, the dichotomy between goodness and greatness. And he's like, basically, when I grew up, I want to be a good and a great man.
1: Well, he was a great man in terms of uh, uh, being able to, to, to keep government in a restricted fashion.
0: Yes, I believe he said that the role of the president, and and, and I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but basically he saw the role of the president as a guardrail against Congress and the other branches of power. So basically for him, he, and, and we talked about this in our 2024 class that we're teaching, there's different forms of political power, and one form of political power is to protect the status quo that currently is. correct. And for Grover Cleveland, he didn't see himself as a, as a Roosevelt, like the bully pulpit. He didn't want to change things. He wanted to protect things. It, correct. He saw himself as a guardian more than as an innovator.
1: Right, because when he runs for president against, against Blaine the, from Ma- from Maine, um, Blaine <laughs> is part of the spoil system. Yes. And, and, and Grover Cleveland is just opposite of that. And so the, they, they try to tarnish Blaine because of him being, you know, patronage and spoil mm-hmm. system and, and, uh, and in bed with, with, with uh, the corrupt people. But then they attack uh, Grover Cleveland on morality. Yes. And they, they say, you, you know, uh, he had a child out of wedlock. Uh, and and the, other thing, the interesting thing is is that, you know, Grover Cleveland didn't admit he had a child out of wedlock. He said that child could be mine, and I'm paying the support for that child anyway. Yes, I mean he didn't deny it. No. And and imagine that today, you know, the honesty of the character and the character of the candidate really speaks volumes. Yes. And and, and you know, we all do wrong. We Absolutely. all have problems. We all. But to be able to admit and to not deny that, mm. and for the sake of the the, the child. You know, to continue to support whether it was his or not, I think speaks volumes of his character. I do, too. And and, and I I like what you said. And you have said on this podcast before,
0: we understand that our politicians will make mistakes and we'll forgive them if they'll just be honest about it. Yes. It's almost like when you were growing up or you're raising your kids, it's like you're going to make mistakes, but don't lie about them. Yes. It's the same same principle. Like you're going to blow it. Like you're going to make mistakes, but don't lie about it. And that's kind of where Cleveland comes and he's like, you know what? Honestly, that might be my kid. And I've been trying to do the honorable thing. And 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 what's what's amazing to me is that it backfires in the face of blame yes, because the whole entire like especially he's a populist candidate in many ways. Yes. The whole entire populist is like, oh that's honorable. We'll vote for him now. Yeah. And he wins he wins overwhelmingly. Yeah. I know? mean he basically he for all intents and purposes, he admits to having a love child and sponsoring this illegitimate child, and the populace is like Pretty good guy. Takes Yeah, he takes his responsibility for his actions. Yeah. And you know? Blaine, you know Blaine's sitting there, just scratching his head going, but wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> the political advisors told me oh, this was yes. going to ruin him. They oh, yeah. showed me the poll numbers, yep, right?
1: Yep, yep, yep. And oh, it backfires. Yep, and that happens. It should happen more today. Oh, my goodness. I mean, expose the hum- human nature of our candidates, and I think we'll like them a lot more. I agree. You know, yeah. that's one of the things. And you've heard me say this before uh,
0: many times as well. That's one of the things that makes the Old Testament in particular so unique is that God shows the warts and all of his individuals. Right. Yeah. It's not like the Catholic Church writes something called a hagiography. And a hagiography shows how everyone's perfect because they're a saint. They're the things they've never done anything wrong. The Bible's not a hagiography. The Bible shows here's Abraham and he blew it here, here, oh, here, here. Yeah. Right. And when we look at these presidents, I think, like you said, we can relate to that, to that humanity in their character if they simply go. I blew it here. I'm
1: doing everything to make it right. Give me another chance. Yeah, you know, it's, it's. I, I guess it's the old saying that that goes. You know, God doesn't choose the qualified; He qualifies the, those He chooses. I like and, that, and, and that's. I think we see that in some of our presidents I agree. that we've we, we've talked about, and we'll talk about some more as we go on.
0: One of the black spots in his history, which, which honestly, I, I think would have been a more uh, effective smear campaign, was that he will buy his way out of the draft of the Civil oh, War. Oh
1: gosh, he, with a Polish he immigrant, he pays
0: a Polish immigrant $150. To fight in his stead, and he yeah. refuses to go and fight in the Civil War. He would have fought for the Union side, yeah. um, but he refuses to go, refuses to fight. It's not on the principle of ideals. No. It's purely just on the principles of both convenience and, and I don't know, poss- possibly fear. I don't, I yeah, don't want ju- to judge played, the man. That
1: wouldn't have played too well on a campaign today. Not in today's time, you right. Know? Um, I, mean, I know we've had some that have been accused of draft dodging, mm-hmm. but to pay somebody to take your spot. And then admit that you paid someone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, y- yeah, you admit it, everything, but some things you just can't overcome. Yeah. You know. Uh, and,
0: and again, I, I don't want to – to, I don't know what was in his heart. I don't want to speak too harsh about that. But I just think that would have uh, been a lot uh, more effective of a smear campaign by Blaine than simply – Yes. About his 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 love child, but the one thing we have to say over and over and over again about about Cleveland is he's just honest.
1: He doesn't lie about that either. Well, like, yeah, I did. He's, I mean, he's, just, he's just an honest guy. He is. And and you know what's interesting is uh, he become he's a bachelor when he gets yes. into the White House. Yes. Forty seven years old. Mm hmm. And that doesn't take long though before he changes that. No. And it it it's odd. Yes. The way that it plays out is a, is a little odd. Um,
0: he'll marry someone almost thirty years his younger. She's twenty one and he's forty nine when they finally yes. get married. Um. And it gets really odd because it was his ex-law partner's, partners daughter. daughter. And when his law partner <laughs> dies, he is given—now, now, not custody in the sense he's raising her, but he's given custody to make sure she goes to a good home. So he oversees the finances as a lawyer and then, like, sees her off to a good home. And then they they reunite when she's in college and he's this uh, pushing 50-year-old man. And he he falls in love with her and, and they get married.
1: Yes. And she becomes a first lady and at she, age 21.
0: The youngest— Ever yeah. and the only first lady to have two um, non- uh, cons- yes, right. So we have that both times were non-consecutive terms, um, and she they're also the only couple to get married in the White House. That's true. They get married in the Blue Room, I believe it is. I think so. Um, and he worked all day that day because he said that he wouldn't take a day off. Worked all day that day, and they got married at seven that night when he was done working in the Oval Office. Amazing. And interesting, Just this is useless trivia, completely useless trivia, but um, John Philip Sousa actually does the music for the wedding with the Marine Band. No kidding. Yeah. John Philip Sousa and the Marine Band come up to the Blue Room, and they do the music for um, the wedding, actually.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: So, again, that's kind of useless trivia. trivia, but but it's good. It might help you on Jeopardy one day. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, he is, if I'm not mistaken, only the second president to get married while president, but the only president to get married in the White House. Yes,
1: yes. And he had a good you know he created the Interstate Commerce Commission he does uh because you've got the railroad now just really and, oh, and I think he was very uh aggressive against the railroad he had them return I think over 80 million yes. acres in land yes. that was wrongfully taken um he he in, he engaged himself in strikes uh labor strikes he, he was um in fact as a result of I think the um the Pullman strike, uh, the railroad strike in Chicago, was was the genesis of Labor Day, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he, but he was a um, he was a taskmaster. By golly, he it was the letter of the law. That's what he you upheld. And government wasn't there for anything but to be the guardrail. Mm-hmm. It wasn't to be the provider, mm-hmm. as we see today.
0: Right. He was uh, afraid of the nanny state. Yeah, he was. He and, was. And that changed so his first term. For the most part, is um, is not
1: eventful. Yeah,
0: It's just a very kind of quiet, chill first term. His second term
1: is going to yeah. go off the rails. It, it goes off the rails. It goes off the rails. And, and, and he doesn't get reelected. Even though he wins the popular vote, he, he loses the electoral vote. Mm-hmm. Um, people are a little upset with him because of his nature, you know, vetoing all these bills and being the way he is. Um, he loses the election. And yeah. four years later, he's drafted to run against Benjamin Harrison, who um, –
0: there's already things in the country going off the rails. We can't blame yeah, everything. The d-
1: depression. There's a depression of, what was it, 1893? The Panic of
0: 1893. Yeah. There's, and then he'll yeah. do the repel of the Sherman uh, Silver Act of 1893. Yes. There's a the Pullman strike of 1894. There's the overthrow of Hawaii yeah. in, what, 1892, right before he comes in. So, I mean, like, the country is an uh, upheaval. Everything's yeah. just going off the rails, falling apart. It's one of the worst uh, economies that we've ever seen pre-Great Depression. It mm-hmm. probably is the worst economy we've ever seen pre-Great Depression. Um Farmers are losing their land. It's almost the Dust Bowl all over again. The Midwest that's been so irrigated is now turning under. it has been bad weather, and it just seems like stuff is falling apart. And he comes to power, and his uh, thrift-spending mindset doesn't fit well no. with this just already falling apart economy, and it falls even deeper. Yeah. And uh, he leaves very unpopular. In fact, I believe it was in 1893
1: that the unemployment rate falls to 25%. Wow, oh, I didn't know that. I know 25%. he tried to buy uh, – he sold bonds to buy back gold. Yes. Uh, you know, because we were on the gold standard then and, and he felt that the – and when you do that, you go into greater debt. Yes. Yes. And yeah, they're on the they're on
0: the, the gold and silver standard, and he wants the silver standard completely removed, mm-hmm. which alienates him from his Southern Democrat friends completely. So he kind of also is a man without a, a party now, which we've
1: seen multiple times. Yes. Right? And that's a dangerous place to be, isn't well, it? Well, and that ultimately cost him his reelection uh, in his second term mm-hmm. uh, because his party did not nominate him mm-hmm. for reelection. Mm-hmm. Which is is a tough thing. Yeah,
0: because there is no presidential limit at this point. No, he isn't. could have run for a third term. Just to clarify for our listeners, yeah, um, he could have, he could have run for a third term, and had they liked him, would have run for a third
1: term. Yes, he was. Um, yeah, he was willing to do that. Yes, but I, I read a story where in in his uh, last term, he had developed a cancer in mm-hmm. the roof of his mouth. That's correct. And and not to cause alarm, he told uh, his his supporters that he was going on a fishing trip. That's correct. And actually did go out on a boat, mm-hmm. and while it was moving, he had surgery that that gave him a replacement jaw
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: while the boat's moving. And, mm-hmm. the, and, and it wasn't discovered until after he died that Yeah, this it was, happened.
0: I, I wrote this down. It was discovered uh, 24 years later. Um, so they, they basically kind of – I don't know if I can use the term – Shanghai or recruit six doctors. And they get aboard this private yacht, and they all have to sign basically NDAs, non-disclosure right. agreements. And then they operate on him while, this, sh- like you said, while the ship is moving. And they remove, I think it's something like three teeth, and then it's part of his upper lip, which is one of the reasons why he never cut his, his giant mustache was to cover the scar, mm. uh, part of his upper lip, and then up into the palate of his mouth. And they remove a cancerous tumor, um, and they pull it out, and then they, 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 they rebuild this, and they build him a little prosthetic, and he'll stay out of the press for over a week. And that's that's interesting to me because can you imagine mm-hmm. in our modern day twenty four hour news cycle social media could a president hide for a week without panic?
1: Not in today's world. I mean, we learned about the the uh, Lloyd Austin, our uh, Secretary of Defense, being out, uh, and that took a little while. That took over a week, but th- th- that's a cabinet member. Mm-hmm. You know, the president. I, I don't see how because his schedule's public. Mm-hmm. Record. So, exactly. you know, you, you that couldn't happen.
0: Yeah. And I find it interesting kind of the difference uh, that we look at the government. So in this time period, when it finally was discovered, which was 24 years later, so time heals a lot of wounds, too. No one really cared. And then we look at the Lloyd Austin issue, which is a different issue, right? Because he's, yes. he's a military leader. Yes. But, of course, immediately the, the public is in an uproar. So not only do we expect uh, the nanny state to maybe take care of us more, but we also expect – our politicians to basically be in that 24-7 news cycle for us, too. That's true. It's interesting. We demand more from our politicians in the sense, and I guess where I'm going with this is there is no sense of individual responsibility slash self-sufficiency, it seems like, anymore. We need the government, therefore, 24-7 to take care of us.
1: I think you're absolutely right. It's, the government has become the be-all to end-all. And what used to be you know, the, the mantra of the Republican Party is you know, we, we want limited and less government. That's right. I think over the last couple of years, we've shown that that's just the opposite. Yeah. I mean, imagine this. When I was elected to Congress in 2010, we had a $12 trillion deficit, <laughs> you know, and, and today – 12 years later, we're at $34 trillion. So $22 trillion has been accumulated by both parties. By both parties, that's right. And and, and it's not the issue that it should be, and that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's because, back to your point, that this has become the nanny state, the yeah. be-all, to end-all for everybody. We demand more. You know, look at what we're happy to having right now, you know, with the NCAA transfer portal and all what's going on in college mm-hmm. football. Well, let's let Congress take a look at it and see what <laughs> they can do.
0: Because Congress oh. needs to determine... College athletics. Yes. That is exactly— Imagine that
1: coming before Grover Cleveland yes. as president.
0: Yes. Because that is the role of Congress, of government, yeah. is to determine what 19-year-olds
1: do on the football field. Yes. It's, it's, that's where we've gone. That's where we've evolved since Grover Cleveland was president 140 years ago. Yes. Is instead of having somebody who has the wherewithal to say, no, this is not a function mm-hmm. of government— And it's not good for the country to make it a function of government because it creates a dependency. Now we're like government is going to do everything for you.
0: And one of the scary things about government is once it begins to grow, there are very few leaders that will ever peel it back.
1: Oh, Thinking
0: back, I mean, you'd probably go back to the 80s when Reagan started peeling back some of the layers. And then pre-Reagan.
1: Show me a tax that they ever got rid of. Exactly. You know. I mean, you know, once it's there, the, and it's, but it also has to do with, you know, the the, the process. You know, yes. baseline budgeting in government is we give you a million dollars to spend this year. Mm-hmm. And if you don't spend it, then we won't give you that that's next right. year. So they have no incentive to be frugal, to be that's efficient. Right. They spend the million dollars. And next year they ask for a million, too. And that's how you can. It, it's, it's, it's a warped system it in that regard. System. And, and there's
0: no incentive for being frugal. In fact, there's actually punishment. For yeah, being
1: there frugal, is. there is, yeah. So,
0: it, it is it is it is a warp system from 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 the beginning. Um, but yeah. So like you said, he he actually. And also, I don't, I don't know if you read this or not. But when he is having his surgery, he doesn't like his VP. His VP is Stevenson. Stevenson was just All a right. strange guy, and he doesn't want Stevenson to know that he's having an operation because he doesn't want him trying to power grab. So this is this is comical, but it's very clever. So what he does is he sends Stevenson on a goodwill tour to the uh, North Pacific West. Wow. Because there's, of course, no planes, no cars, of course. It's the 1800s. So he has to get on a train and ride all the way across America up to, like, pretty recent territory that's been acquired. It's like Oregon. And he's gone for, like, three weeks. So when he gets back, he's, he's pretty healed up. Wow. Basically, like, I don't want you to have anything to do with this. And if something goes wrong, I don't really want you to hear either. either. Yep. Yeah.
1: So, wow.
0: And politically, it's it's smart, it, it, though. It is, yeah. Um, but let's talk about some of these issues in uh, his second term. And, and of course, we, we have to start with the Panic of
1: 1893.
0: Yes. Because we, we talk about this over and over and over again because we're, we're today we're on the 22nd and 24th presidents, a little different. So we're, we're, we're 23 presidents in, uh, 22, I guess, because he has it again and yet the one thing we keep coming back to is the importance of the economy, right? And, and you and I made reference to this before, but, but Bill Clinton or his chief of staff made a statement so many years ago, it's the economy, stupid. Yeah. And if there is a diametric shift in 2024, as we can predict there possibly could be strong possibility, the economy will be the number one reason why. Absolutely. It's, it's the economy over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's the economy. Nothing will get a candidate or even a seated candidate voted out faster than a poor economy.
1: Yeah, I mean, look what happened in 1992 uh, with, with George H.W. Bush, yes. you know, probably one of the most popular candidates ever after the Gulf War. Read my lips. Yep, and says no that. New taxes. And no new taxes. And sure enough, he signs into law new taxes, and the economy goes south, and people say—and that's when Clinton comes up and, mm-hmm. and says, you know, it's the economy, stupid. And then holds two terms because he holds a very good economic standpoint. Yes, yes. Yeah. Last president to ever balance a budget. <laughs> Imagine that, right? Yeah. yeah, and that's been a while.
0: Yeah, that has. 90—what uh, was that? 90—
1: uh, yeah 1992 90, to 90 uh, to 2000 yeah, yeah.
0: that's right because then yeah. Debbie comes in 2000 yeah so yeah that's been quite a while one of the things that um, I guess we can say that, he, that, he, that Grover does well Grover Cleveland does very well is that when he steps in one of the issues that's taking place is the annexation of Hawaii I don't know how much you're familiar with the history of this but it, it's done it's done in a very can we use the term diabolical way? So basically, what's going on? Just to give a very quick overview, is that Hawaii was a sugarcane state. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a state yet; it's just a, kind of a territory. But Hawaii still has a monarchy; they still have a royal family. But we we had this accord where we worked with them. So the Queen of Hawaii. Uh, basically is, is, is pushed out for all intents I won't get into too much of the history. It's pushed out for all intents and purposes. And there is a, a provisional government set up of, of, of basically white sugarcane farmers. And these white sugarcane farmers uh, just start basically running the whole territory. Grover Cleveland comes to power and he condemns the whole thing. He said this is wrong. Reinstate the queen. And he, as a president, wow. actually tells this provisional government, you must reinstate the Hawaiian monarchy. They refuse him. And they actually set up armaments that basically say, if you send the Marines over, we'll fight you. Cleveland doesn't push the issue, but he doesn't want to look weak either. So he just kicks the whole thing over to Congress and then steps away from it.
1: I did not know that.
0: And Congress won't really do anything about it, uh, mm-hmm. at least not for a temporary period of time. Eventually, they th- will take the Hawaiian queen. They'll put her on trial. The whole thing is a debacle. And then eventually, uh, America th- kind of cover just quickly annexes it and makes it a state. Wow. Um, but it, the whole thing is a debacle. And Cleveland actually says that morally—he's a PK, right? He's a pastor's kid. He right. says he's a man of faith. Um, he says morally this is wrong. And basically, as the president, I am publicly condemning this mm. and won't stand for this.
1: Um, but, but the presidential you-
0: office is so— not as powerful it is it is now. He doesn't do anything about
1: it. In, that's interesting because in the Pullman strike in Chicago, he sends in the federal troops and
0: shoots into the crowd.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, to enforce an injunction against the uh, the workers, the striking workers.
0: And maybe as a as a, a self trained lawyer, maybe it's his understanding of law that because it's a territory, he can not have as much true. power. True. I don't know. And, I don't know and, what his mindset. Know, maybe was. he doesn't
1: feel like he has the jurisdiction. Maybe not. And in, and in the United States, he does.
0: And you've pointed this out, but he before he's 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 a rule man. He's he is that guy him. who just carries the rule book around with him, right? right? That, that's just like his mindset.
1: He's frugal. <laughs> he's balanced budget. He's to the letter of the law, right? Yeah. That's that's who he is. And, and what's interesting, and not only that, but he's also gracious because when he runs against Benjamin Harrison mm-hmm. uh, for his second term, um, Benjamin Harrison's wife is suffering from tuberculosis and Harrison can't cannot campaign. So out of respect. Wherever Cleveland doesn't campaign. Can it becomes you imagine a politician one of the most quiet time. presidential elections, you know, that, that we've ever had? And he wins, but he respects his opponent's condition, if you will. And civility? Yeah. That'd be nice. Yeah. To see
0: again. Yeah. By both candidates yeah. and by supporters. That's one thing that I think we miss is that we say, Well, the candidates are screaming and yelling at each other. Well, it's a representative form of government and you're doing the same thing. Yeah. What do you expect? I agree. Um, uh, The whole idea between Plato and Aristotle both, when you read early on, is that basically uh, the the state, the polis, gets the candidate they deserve, right? Exactly. And that's been said so much in modern day times. That's a Greek concept. Like the polis gets the candidate they deserve. (laughs) It's representing who you are as a people group. You're right. And that's kind of scary for us in the last several. Well, it's really scary is if you don't vote, oh. you have no choice in what you get there. Yes, is, you know? absolutely. No, but he is a man of faith. And, and I wrote this quote down. I found this really, really interesting. He made this statement. I have always felt that my training as a minister's son has been more valuable to me as a strengthening influence than any other incident in my life. Wow. I'm a PK, so I kind of get that. Yeah. I understand where he's coming yeah. from. But he says that growing up as a pastor's son and seeing the way that his dad conducted himself, the ethics, the integrity, he said that created more of a preparedness to be president than any other experience he had in his life.
1: Well, that's not only powerful, but it's also true. I mean, yes. the way he 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 exercised his constitutional duties as president, I think, were pretty admirable.
0: They were so restrained.
1: Very restrained. Very restrained, yeah, unimaginative. Some would say, because <laughs> yes. you know, but and that may have cost him uh, his, his his re-election the first time. Mm-hmm. Of course, he didn't get nominated again, and William Jennings Bryan was in instead. And William Jennings Bryan lost that uh, uh, yeah. election. <laughs> yes, he did. So, but he
0: he's not an innovator. He's a protector. He, he sees is. himself as a guardian. Yeah, he's a guardian of the ideals of the founding father. And honestly, that's not that bad of an idea. Like I, I no. thought about that a lot this weekend as I was just refreshing my mind, reading back through, and I thought. I don't know if that's that bad. Maybe we should have people again who go, you know what? I'm not an innovator. I'm not reinventing the wheel. I'm just a guardian of the original ideals. Yeah. You and I talk a lot about founder's intent, right. author's intent, like founder's intent matters. We can't constantly reinvent something that we didn't create.
1: Yeah. He's a steward of the people's trust. Yeah. Which is hard to imagine anymore.
0: That's an interesting concept. Um, he also, made, again, in closing, he also said that the only reason why he was successful in political office was because of the prayers of his mother.
1: Wow. The intercessory prayers. You love that. that. I love that. I
0: like that. Yeah.
1: I I can relate. (laughs) Just uh, Me too. Me too. In a very, very large way.
0: Um, But I I just feel like to have leaders who would yet again stand up and say, we want to do things the right way. And we want to guard and protect founders intent. Yeah. And be fiscally responsible while doing
1: it. Yeah. Now, did
0: he do everything right? No, none of, me. None of no. them. of ever will. There, none of them ever will. There's some weird stuff, and of course, uh, the, his marriage was odd. But again, I mean, you know, she she's an adult when he marries, or we don't yeah. see anything that there's right. anything going on before that. But it's still super odd. Um, yeah, because up until that point, I think he's she had even said in her own right that she considered him like an uncle until she marries him. I'm just like this, that's
1: just not that's yeah.
0: creepy. That's it's it's really weird. Um, but then later she'll write that she had a super happy marriage. They were married for like 22 years and yeah. how she, she loved him. She's, she's got this happy marriage, but it's, it's, it's a really odd thing. It's, it's a yeah. super odd, creepy. Probably
1: wouldn't creepy be accepted. Yeah.
0: No. And, and probably rightfully so. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just a creepy deal. It's like some kind of Alabama thing, right? Oh, yeah.
1: Like Jerry Lee Lewis marrying <laughs> his cousin. <you> know? <laughs> right. So
0: yeah. It's, or the Roosevelt's who marry their cousins. Yes, you're right. I mean, yes. It's a yeah. presidential thing. I don't know. It's, yes. it's weird. Um, but Yeah, so that kind of – that's a that's a weird note to end on, by the way. We're kind of ending on
1: – But it is unusual, and it is probably the only time we've seen that in uh, the White House. So yes. it's probably yes. not a bad way to end it.
0: Uh, I guess not. We can end on the oddity, right? Yes. But Grover Cleveland, fiscally responsible Democrat as we talk about oddities.
1: <laughs> yes, very much so.
0: <laughs> and uh, saw himself not as, uh, as an inventor but saw himself as a guardian of the founder's intent, which is something good to, for us to think about. I agree. All right. Thank you. Next week, we will uh, continue on our journey.
1: Yes. Thank you.